Hello and welcome to the ECE Quality Ireland podcast. I'm Celine Govern and I'm Paula Walsh and we are delighted today for our second podcast to um, have a guest to come and speak with us today and that is Denise McCormilla who is the CEO of the National Childhood Network. So I'm so glad you um, agreed kindly to join us, Denise. And I have the first question. And I suppose really what I want to ask um, from you to start with is about your journey. Where did it all start and how did you get to where you are now? I know it's, I think, at the National Childhood Conference on Saturday. Did somebody say 42 years? Yeah, 42 years ago in 1980. Um, a combination of circumstances uh, led me to open a home-based playgroup uh, in Three Mile House, a rural village in County Monaghan. Um, I was a French and history teacher, but I had two small children and uh, there was no childcare 45 years ago. My mum was a working mum, so I didn't couldn't depend on her. And so I said, I believed I should stay at home until they were old enough to go to school. So when one was three and my son was two, I got the opportunity for two months to sub in the local primary school, working with junior and senior infants, 45. And so many days I just felt, oh, my goodness, these poor little pets, they really shouldn't be here in a circumstance like this with 45 children sitting in benches with seats and having to sit all day. And often I complained in the staff room and said, we really need a playgroup in Three Mile House. Um, and the principal was the one that said, well, why don't you do something about it? You're going to be at home for the next few years until they go to school. So why don't you set one up? That happened on the same day as my local shopkeeper said, you wouldn't think of setting up a playgroup because my Derek is driving me mad. He was four in November, so he couldn't go to school until the following November. So... I said, you ask 10 families in the parish, will they send their child to my playgroup? And I'll read something about it. So I borrowed a book by Brenda Crow uh, in the UK on the playgroup movement. And I opened the service three weeks later. Uh, I opened in a converted garage that my husband had turned into a playroom for my own children. And it was only supposed to be for two or three years until my son went to school. And then I was going to go back to teach in French and history but I got bitten by the play bug and uh, I I absolutely love was fascinated by Brenda Crow's book on the playgroup movement I happened to hear a woman called Maura Jones who was the first national advisor for the old Irish, Irish preschool playgroup association one half of early childhood Ireland talk about the fascination of play and all of the different play experiences that children should have in a playgroup setting. And I just thought, oh my goodness, for whatever length of time I'm going to do this, I need to provide lots of play opportunities. So while I initially thought play with sand and water and dough and paint and all of those kind of things was, oh my goodness, mess, mess, mess. We had much more important work to do. I came to realise that that was the important work of providing a preschool playgroup for children. So um, I, there was no training available at that stage, but the Irish Preschool Playgroup, so 20-hour playgroup course did become available to the old VEC. That was a wonderful programme. 
Um, that led to becoming a tutor, uh, doing tutor training with the old IPPA and becoming a trainer. That really hooked you in as well because you've got to read, read, read and, and uh, be prepared to be able to deliver the programme. So that led to an even greater fascination. And then being in the border counties, I was able to look north to Northern Ireland and engage with, with NEPA, which was the Northern Ireland Preschool Playgroup Association, now early years. And... Um, Forty-two years later, I'm still here, about to retire at the end of June. But just for all the difficulties and all of the challenges, and there are many, my fascination is still with young children, now with school-age children. It's still with play, child development, and I just believe passionately that really good early years and school-age childcare services contribute, contribute enormously to children's lives to the lives of parents and families, to the lives of communities, and just to Ireland as a whole. And the older I get, and the more I read, the more I believe that is true. That's fascinating. It really is, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've, you, you know, I suppose, listen to you there, you can really hear, it's nearly the... the such a journey like from you know from as you say a place where there was there was no training available to you there was uh, or very little training available to you you know um and to really come through you know all those various experiences and right up to where we are in the present day you know you've you've seen it all really in relation to how the sector has has come from its infancy and grown to where it is now you know so um, I know we were discussing earlier on about about maybe what might have been like the, the pivotal moment um, in relation to the sector moving towards, I suppose, the realisation of becoming a professional sector, maybe, I suppose, in relation to policy. Is there a pinpoint or a moment that you think that's where I really saw that this sector could move towards a professional sector? I suppose I've always felt that for a long, long time. I mean, one of the things that really influenced my thinking was hearing a lecture by Dr. Francis Douglas, who was with Cork University, who developed the first early years or early childhood degree program down in Cork University. And he spoke about neuroscience and the impact of play and having the right nurture environment for children's brains. And we hear a lot today about building brains, you know, well, it's a long time ago since I heard Francis Douglas speak about uh, how children's brains develop, you know, within the first five years at such an enormous pace. And you just then realised, oh, goodness, OK, this is an important role that we have in working with children. And I was incredibly lucky then being close to Northern Ireland to be able to access training from a wonderful woman, uh, long dead, unfortunately, called Ailish McKay. And Ailish McKay was one of the first trained high school consultants in the country. So I trained as a high school practitioner with her. Uh, and then in 1995, my own circumstances changed and I could no longer be a part-time playgroup leader with um, just a change of family circumstances and I needed to get a full-time job. Uh, and I became the advisor with the Irish Preschool Playgroup Association for County Cabin and Meath. Uh, that was at a really exciting time for the border region because you had um, 
the various, you know, cessations of violence in the north. That led to investment by the International Fund for Ireland. That led to a three-year high school programme that services participated in from across the border region and then in Northern Ireland. So three years of high school training with Ailish McKay, with service providers from Northern Ireland and the border region, and with um, a dear colleague from IPPA uh, who initiated really, uh, took such a lead in setting up Early Childhood Ireland, Irene Gunning. That really, you know, I suppose that was a pivotal moment that you you realised how important practitioners, educators, call them what we will, are in the lives of children. You know, backed by research, you could see it every day in the practice within in the services that you supported for three years. And at that stage, you really would have had the notion that this, this is not just preschool playgroup people. These are really important people in the lives of children. They need to be recognised. They, they, uh, they educate children. They are not teachers as in teachers within a primary school. To me, early years, educators, teachers, call them whatever we will, are far more important because those first five years of life are so important. Uh, and again, it was mainly preschool for many years. And then in the last few years with women returning to work, we needed services for babies and toddlers. And the fascination of working with babies and toddlers and the respect I have for staff who work with babies and toddlers and who want to continue to work with babies and toddlers. They don't want to be the room supervisor or the lead educator necessarily or the centre manager. Their work is with those younger children. And as a grandparent now with eight children, and all my eight children have been through crash services, community and private, in Ireland and in Australia. The importance of a good quality crash service is just, it's immeasurable. You know, it's really immeasurable from the time a child is six months of age, if that's where parents need to send their child, then those practitioners, educators working with those children need to have the right knowledge, the right disposition, first of all, and attitude, the right knowledge and skills, the right competencies to be able to do a professional job because their work is so important. Yeah, one of the things, Denise, oh, sorry, Paula, one of the things that really has struck me is that 42 years ago, you were clearly way ahead of your time because you knew the importance of play. You did the research on play and you opened a service that was play based, which just it just speaks volumes to me and it explains to me how you ended up as CEO of NCN. It just it all falls into place. And I know that over the last 42 years, you know, there was a shift and a move away from play when other forms of curriculum were considered, you know, more beneficial or, or more important. And now we see a return to that play based, which and I like you, I'm 20 years open this year and I was always play based. I just it just made sense to me that that's what I should do. I think I could see the benefits with the children. But then I suppose my question is. So we obviously understand the benefits of play and the conference spoke about it a lot as well. And then we have to look at policy, don't we? And the kind of policy that's being developed by the policymakers. And my question is, do you think that the the importance of play to children and the importance of children themselves is visible within Irish policy? Or does Irish policy tend to focus a little bit more maybe on, you know, work activation and the reasons for childhood or early years education. Are children present? Before you 
Before you answer that, Denise, um, we're just going to have to stop for a second and then restart because our our wonderful um, account is not the pro account. So we're going to run out of time on it. So give me two seconds and we'll stop it and start it again. Thanks. Okay, one of the things that has really struck me, Denise, about what you were saying was that I feel you were way ahead of your time 42 years ago. You know, you recognized the importance of play and you opened a play based service. And, you know, that has kind of blown my mind a little bit. Um, and then we saw the transition then into more formal types of preschool education and different kinds of curriculum, which were considered perhaps to be more beneficial. And, and a lot of people combined them with a play-based approach as well. And now I think we've gone full circle and we're back to where you knew we should have been anyway, 42 years ago. And we're back to a very much a play-based type of um type of curriculum and I suppose my question for you is we now have lots of policy that we wouldn't have had 42 years ago and my question is are we seeing children at the heart of Irish policy or is Irish policy more based around work activation and getting people into the workforce and an economy driven system Um, or can you see children really being central to all of our early early years policy? I think there's a little bit of a mixture of both. Uh, I mean, you you definitely, when the Equal Opportunities Childcare Programme was initiated way back in the early 2000s, you know, it was a worked activation measure. But the reality was we would not have got that funding from Europe um, had it not been for the submission for funding, you know, um, led by the famous Hilda Langford from the Department of Justice, Equality and Law Reform. She saw an opportunity to bring funding in that could only come in through an equality route. Okay. But that funding transformed our sector, absolutely transformed our sector. You know, it provided support structures, it provided training, it provided staffing grants We're back in those early days, even though it was only for committee managed services. So I think we, I don't think one agenda is exclusive of another. I think work, I think being able to facilitate women in particular to be able to access work or, or training or education, but in particular work is, is a hugely important agenda. You know, uh, I mean, had I really wanted to go back to teaching French and history, I would not have been able to do that because the, the, there was no provision. So I think that is really, really important. So I think regardless of, of whatever policy leads to the provision of services, every service must be focused on the child. The child should be at the heart. You know, it is about promoting and facilitating their holistic development and partnership with their parents. So whatever leads to the establishment and maintenance of a service, then that has to be the key priority for everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're a childminder or a chain, that should be the key agenda. And I think there is still a job of work to be done for all our policymakers to understand how early years and school age, because school age are coming to such a demand now, you're coming into summer holidays and parents don't have enough spaces for children, we don't have enough baby places, we need, we need so much more. Um, 
So they are valuable for children in their own right. They nurture children's holistic development. They provide children with the opportunity to meet other children, to develop friendships that last for years and years and years, for families to connect with each other, whether it's in a, in a housing estate or in a local area like we have here in Treatment House in County Monaghan. You know, I, I think... There are so many reasons and no one reason is any more important than the other. But what has to be the case for every policy agenda is that the promotion of the holistic development of the child is front and centre and everything else follows from that, you know, uh, because the contribution that services can make, regardless of who provides them, you know, it has to be about promoting their health. Because health has become so important and the role of, of services promoting children's health and well-being is enormous. Um, and it has to be about promoting their holistic develop, learning and development, you know. And it has to be about connecting with families as well, because no children can be supported in isolation from their parents and their families. So there are big responsibilities. They need to, those responsibilities need to be recognised and need to be valued. They need to be understood by all political parties, all politicians, and they really need to be understood by parents. And I think while we, you know, after the conference, we all loved listening to the children, the Ombudsman for Children, Nine Muldoon. He was wonderful. He really emphasised the rights of children, the children's right to play, you know, but I, and there was a call then to, to influence our policymakers. But you know who we have to influence most? We have to influence our parents, yeah. our parents, our grandparents, our families. You know, yeah. they have to know why why these services are so important and why they should be child-led, you know, child-centred and play-based. Um, and it doesn't matter whether that's for babies or toddlers or preschoolers, for school age. You know, we've just entered into a new arrangement with Playboard in Northern Ireland in order to help us can provide training that will help school-age child care uh, practitioners really provide play-based training or play-based experiences for children in school settings, you know, and um, that, that, that's, it, it's, it's just so important, you know, and I think we have quality frameworks as in Shilta and Ashter, yes, with the regulatory framework there, but I think Shilta and Ashter are just amazing frameworks that I know our colleagues in Northern Ireland are actually really envious of. We would note the cross-border projects, they love the Republic's Shilta and Ashter frameworks, so we need to value those and really embrace them and build on all of the good work done and then see what needs to go forward. And then, of course, in order for services and, and educators, practitioners to do what they need to do, we need the right investment. You know, we need the right policies. Uh, we need the right terms and conditions that people, that everyone who works within our sector can really concentrate on the child and that the child the child's experiences will ensure that they can blossom, flourish and thrive. I mean, that's our key agenda, regardless of why the services are there. We want children who leave their service, go to the next phase in their lives, you know, and you feel that you have been able to do everything that you would like to do for them, you know. And that might seem a bit idealistic, but it really isn't. That should be our reality. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. in the in the social policy, I suppose, landscape at the moment, you know, linked into all of that is, you know, with First Five and nurturing skills and the workforce development plan, 
you know, there obviously is a move towards, you know, um, recognition of the sector as a professional and recognition of educators as professionals. So what I was would like to ask you then um, is, what do you think it means to be a professional early childhood educator? And with your vast 42 years of experience, has this changed over the course of your career? It hasn't, it hasn't, you know, what for, for as an early years educator, you, for me, you have to have the right attitude, the right inclination, the right disposition. You have to, first of all, be a caring person. You know, you can't do all of the, the wonderful work that you might like to do with children if you don't fundamentally care about the children that you have before you every day. Mm-hmm. So that's the need to be caring and kind, first of all, uh, are the first steps and, and loving. And I think that comes from a culture that we need. I think there is a job of work for us to do within the sector to try and create, um, a, 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 what would you say, a kinder, uh, a more caring, um, uh, a compassionate sector, you know, so that those of us who work within the sector are, are kind and caring and compassionate to each other. First of all, I, I think that development of that culture is as important for the future as in the policy and the investment. Now, if the policy and the investment in the terms and conditions are there, it's easier to be caring, kind and compassionate, and you then you need the knowledge, skills and competencies to do the work that is required to promote these children's holistic development in partnership with their parents, you know, but um, I don't think you can underestimate the need to have people working within the sector who really want to be there and who really have the right attitude. I think it all begins with attitude. And if you have the right attitude, then I, I think the right things will happen, you know. Yeah. yeah, it's just I just have a, a quick um observ- before Paula heads to, to, to the last question, but just you know, and you're so right, Denise, that relationship between the the, the early years setting and the parents is so important. You know, and bringing the parents on board, especially with the concept of play and and that play is how children learn and play is um, how they develop skills and critical thinking and problem solving, which will take them into their future lives and their future careers. And, you know, I think we are doing quite good work there. You know, I mean, I think if you were to ask educators and providers that the relationship with the parents tends to be quite strong. Um, I just wonder then about society, do you know what I mean? So we're tapping into parents, but you know, the greater society and the societal, you know, it's probably not that long ago, 20 years ago or so where, you know, people would have said, oh, for heaven's sake, children should be at home, you know, has, yeah. has society, you know, come on board? Has it moved on this journey with us? I, I think to a large degree it has, you know, certainly from 42 years ago, it absolutely has, you know, and yeah. um, I, I think maybe what we need to do is is maybe ask parents, you know, I think something that we should do maybe within the, the sector every year around June, we ask parents how they have experienced their their early childhood or the school age service, and we we I remember we did this in 2000, which is a long time ago. We asked parents right across the border counties. The feedback that we got from parents whose children really at that stage just attended playgroup services was just 
That was phenomenal. But I don't think we give parents the opportunity to share their voice, to share all of the positive things that I think the majority of people would say about our sector. And I think that's something we need to find a way of doing, you know, um, because I I just hear parents talk and I hear grandparents talk and, you know, uh, and I do think there is there is a real appreciation for the services provided. And uh, and I mean, I think if you look if you look back at COVID, I mean, parents really did value their service. They absolutely did. You know, that's a really good point. We speak all the time about the children's voice, don't we? Maybe we need to just shift our focus ever so slightly and take more notice of the parents voice. That's right. You know, I mean, I was very fortunate this morning, a service provider from a county, the child remained nameless, actually photographed and WhatsApped me a letter that came from a parent whose child was finishing in their playgroup very shortly. And I'm not kidding you, what that parent said would actually make you cry because she expressed her deepest appreciation for the 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 experiences that she and her husband and her family had experienced in being able to send that child to that service from the time the child was three years of age and is now ready for school you know and uh, I just think we don't see that enough I really felt oh gosh I'd love I'd love to give parents the opportunity to say and we might hear something that, that we gosh might be too happy to hear but that's okay like life's not perfect you know, mm-hmm. I do think the majority of parents would 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 express um, their appreciation for the value of the service in their children's lives, their lives, and their families' lives. And I think the majority would do it for all the right reasons. Yeah, and I think by asking the questions, it's another way for for practitioners and for educators to reflect on their practice. You know, and as you say, you you mightn't always hear something um, that you want to hear, but in fact, in hearing it it will encourage you to look back and, and to examine your practice and may see, yeah, yeah, can you make a change? Yeah. That's it. You know, that's it. And I mean, uh, again, years ago, we came across the saying which said your worst critic is your best teacher. Do you know, yeah. let's not be afraid of criticism. We all need to hear it. You know, it stops to make you think. Sometimes we've closed minds. No more closed than minds sometimes. Uh, heading for um, retirement in a few weeks, Gives you a little bit of maturity. I just wish the maturity that I have now, I should have had 20 years ago. I might look at the world differently. But look, it's never, it's never too late to learn. But I, I honestly do feel that we do need to give parents a voice and not be afraid of what they might say, but, but be, believe that we will hear the most of that feedback. I honestly believe will be positive. And I think the sector needs that. You know, life has been really tough for the last number of years. You know, and there's been a lot about regulation and compliance and, you know, COVID and, oh, look, we could all list the challenges. But I, I think a bit of positive feedback would nourish everybody. It would nourish our hearts and our minds and our souls. And I think our sector needs that. Uh, because I think the work of the sector is just wonderful. And I'll tell you one thing that gave me great heart in the last year, and that was as a QQI centre, which NCN has had for the last 20 years, two women who lost their jobs because of COVID were on our Level 5 programme. And both of them rang to say, should we do the Level 6 or should we go to DKIT and do the Level 7? And what do they both say? We are in our dream career. So they'll have a career of 20 years in two other sectors or professions 
and both of them were with what they described as their dream career for all wow. the different projects and challenges. I thought that was the best thing I've heard in the last 12 months, you know. Yeah. Tremendous. That, that, that's brilliant. And to be honest, that actually leads us very nicely on to the last question, um, you know, talking about dream careers and um I'm also cognizant my, both myself and Celine have leave insert students in our house this year, you know, and it's that time of year CAO and thinking about what we're what they're going to do for the future. So what advice would you give to somebody considering starting out on a career in early years? I, I think the need to look at it very clearly and, and not with rose tinted glasses. I think the need to look at what is their driving force in wanting and considering working in this area. And I think if they have a real, um, what would you say, burning desire to work with children, you know, I think they definitely should explore the possibility of what that will mean for them, what training would be available, what routes will they take to do it. They, they need to understand that their rate of pay will not be as good as somebody who might go into the teacher profession. But there are so many people who work with younger children um, who love what they do. Uh, my own daughter uh, works in um, Australia within the early years field. And while she resisted it for a number of years, she fell into that career because she really accepted that she needed to work with children and that she would be good at working with children. And she's brilliant at working with children. And unfortunately, in Australia, the terms and conditions for working with children are much better than they are in Ireland. So somebody coming out with a DIT degree is paid as a, as a proper rate of pay as a primary or secondary school teacher in Western Australia. That's what we want to see going forward in the future. And I, I am hopeful that with, you know, the, all of the work, that all of the investments has come from government in the last 12 months with the funding for the ROs with funding for core funding it it isn't everything that we would want but it's a damn good step in the right direction and we need to be able to build on that you know and the more we can persuade society that these services are invaluable to society then the greater support I feel that we will get from ordinary parents and ordinary people on the street I think there's there's only one way we can go as far as I'm concerned, and that is improve as we go forward. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, we'd just like to say thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak with us this evening on our podcast, on our very only second podcast. So we're privileged to have you come on and talk to us and, and share your wealth of knowledge and experience in the area of, of early childhood education. Um, and we wish you all the very best for everything that the future holds for, for you, Denise. Thanks very much. Thank you, Denise. Fabulous conversation. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Great. I hope.